0: everyone listening, none of the information or views mentioned during this broadcast should be considered investment advice or an offer to sell any securities. All information communicated by speakers are their own personal opinions. And if they represent a public company or a subsidiary owned by a public company, they have been authorized by that company's investor relations department to speak. All speakers' opinions and insights should be based on publicly available information. Amen. I, I know you were excited that. by that. You know, you know, I've never well read, read a safe harbor statement before. That was the first time I've ever read a safe harbor statement.
1: I I bet you anything that was actually the first safe harbor statement ever read on Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> do, you think we, do you think we broke new ground? <laughs> that's probably right. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I think everyone's sort of learning how to use new technology and what the rules are, so I figured better safe than sorry. So I would near guarantee you that no other analysts have done anything on Clubhouse yet. Well, I'm sure they're listening, Brandon. I would guess they're listening. Hopefully they're listening, because there's a lot of good information. You're hoping our peers are listening? No, no, I'm hoping they've been on Clubhouse before. I'm hoping that's oh. new to them. Oh, I see. Sorry. Okay. Uh, we're still waiting for some of the people to join. Hey, Naomi. Hey, Rob. Thanks for joining. Hey, uh, Rob. Brandon, did you prepare any intro music for our uh Oh, Brandon, the intro music. Uh, I mean,
1: uh, Light Shed Laugh. You know what? I didn't. Maybe, maybe RJ can, can play some intro music since he is the music podcasting guy. We
0: can sort of pass the torch on to a guest. She's not on yet, but I, I I did feel very, very, RJ's on. RJ's on.
2: I think he's just on mute. You, Brandon, you've been on Clubhouses, though, where people play music, right? And they comment on it. I wonder how they do that. Is there a light like, search? I think they just turn it up really loud in their room and put their phone on speaker, Is right. right, that some plugin from Spotify or something else that get, it allows you to play music
0: through yeah. there? No, I don't, I don't think that would be a else great else. violation of copyright that I'm sure <laughs> Clubhouse doesn't want to have <laughs> at the moment. Oops. Uh But R.J. probably knows all about that as long as well, – as as, uh, I'm sure J.D. probably has thoughts on that, too, so um, – And Erica, you always make me feel inferior with the all caps. She can't hear me, or maybe she's on mute. I see she joined. (laughs) Well, we're
1: off to a banging start. No one knows how to unmute themselves. There we
3: go. (laughs) There we go. I don't know why it does all caps. I think uh, anyway. I thought it
0: was just a show of power from Barstool, like it was. Yeah, just, probably. The all caps is like the power move from the Barstool.
3: Yeah, you get you get to the 333 Seventh Ave, and it just all caps you.
1: Well, the real show of power on Clubhouse though is getting a picture where you have a highlighted circle around yourself, so you really stand out no one it looks like no one in this room has done that but i've noticed that to be trending in the last couple of days so we're are you talking ahead. about where you talk that's when you talk right No, no no but but people are making it so their profile picture is a circle around themselves so it looks like you're standing out and talking at mm. all times yes this is trending.
0: You can Absolutely. tell Brandon spends Absolutely. way too much time on Clubhouse.
1: Yeah, and probably in the wrong rooms, if I'm pointing that out. No one else has noticed it. Um,
0: well, let me just, uh, you know, I thought what would be great is to kick things off, uh, since we've got everyone I think is joining. We may have other podcasters who jump on and we'll bring them up on stage, but... You know, I thought maybe just for a minute, we sort of decided to do this. Um, Erica was actually part of the inspiration for this, and she was like, why don't we do a uh, sort of some form of an event on Clubhouse and talk about Spotify's big event today? Um, I, I guess we'll give some thoughts first, and I thought maybe we'd just go around the horn, have each of the speakers introduce themselves, and then we can sort of get into a much broader debate and kind of see where the conversation goes. You know, Brandon, from from my perspective, the thing that sort of stood out to me was just how the pace of innovation at Spotify, and and there was no one thing. I don't think there was anything today that was like, oh, my God, this is game-changing for the podcast industry, or even for the music industry. To me, it was more of like the recognition of like all of these little things pile up, and just, just the pace of little things that Spotify is doing to help creators, to help consumers, relative to what I see coming out of Apple, Amazon, yeah. Yeah. It I, I, surprises I, I, me.
1: You're you're breaking up a little bit there rich. Uh can you hear me now? New te- new technology problems. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think a lot of these investor days aren't necessarily about um looking at each individual detail but having a chance to kind of take a step back and look at what the company is doing and the direction they're going. And it's it's kind of a chance to marvel at the enormity of what spotify has built not just the fact that they have whatever 155 million subs what is it 350 million mAU but sort of the the vertically integrated stack that they've built across podcasting and music streaming that combines creation distribution monetization and then all the different tools that they're building in each of those little subsets And when when you really take a look at it and think about how global Spotify is now, it goes to your point that they're just far ahead of Apple or Amazon or Sirius or anyone competing in this space.
0: You know, why don't we just start, um, because I think it'll be fun to have sort of each of the speakers. I think some people maybe are very well-known. Some of the other podcasters may not be. So since everyone sort of is in different levels, either running companies or running divisions of companies, uh, why don't we just go down – we'll just go in alphabetical order um, in terms of first names. So why don't we just do Erica first, and we'll just go around the horn, and I'll just call on people. Just, Just spend two minutes and just talk about what you're doing in podcasting, basically why you're here I mean I think Erica probably most people know but just give a minute on sort of your pod where you are in podcasting today
4: yeah um so I'm Erica Nardini
3: I'm the CEO of Barstool Sports uh we have been heavily invested in podcasting since 2016 we have some of the largest podcasts in the world most notably in the sports space and female lifestyle space with Call Her Daddy um, I think we've done an incredible job of harnessing what I think is the best thing about podcasting, which I do think Spotify showcased today, which is that creators can come from anywhere. And it's really about the expression of a point of view and an opinion and a view on the world. It and the, the conversation and community that can come from that, which is so compelling. Um, you know, we have the number one hockey podcast in the world. We have the number one sports podcast in the world. We have over 30 plus podcasts and we talk about all different things at all different times. Um, and what's interesting, I think, for us is that we don't really think about podcasts as podcasts anymore. We're starting, we're in almost a post-podcast world, where we're starting to think more um, about IP and the concept of shows and the, the idea of having uh, having characters who are compelling with a narrative that people find interesting with a mechanism to engage with them in social media and what we're building and have been building for the last five years is the ability to slice and dice that so that it can live on TikTok, it could live on OnlyFans, it can live on Twitter, it can live on Spotify, it can live on a blog, it can live in a live event, it can live on a sweatshirt. So um, that that's really what we're doing that's what really what we're doing in podcasting um, do you want my opinion rich or just what we're no doing? Well, let's, let's just introduce everybody
0: and then we can go in and sort of dissect or uh however you want but let's just why don't we just jd uh we'll go to jd and then we'll go to naomi Hey, thanks, Rich. Uh, J.D. Crowley.
5: So I head up the digital and podcast businesses for Entercom. For those who aren't familiar, Entercom is one of the two largest radio companies in the U.S., uh, the biggest in most of the top 50 markets, and by far, in a way, a leader in sports and news and kind of spoken word audio. Um, as Erica said... You know, we're we're huge in podcasts. Uh, have some of the biggest podcasts in the country across a number of different formats. We own Cadence Thirteen and Pineapple Street, both of which are sort of big studios and networks in their right. But we're also kind of in a. I like the term post-podcast, Eric. I'm going to steal that. Um, you know, we're in a world where our content goes everywhere. Uh, we believe a lot in live, obviously. That's a big beachhead for us, and we reach about 170 million listeners a month across our broadcast and, and digital assets, uh, probably more than that at this point. But um, but we also do everything from short-form local news clips that we partner with Google News and do a ton with Amazon uh, around smart speakers, which has been a huge part of our business. Um, and on the podcast side, I do everything from, you know, three-minute to five-minute daily updates. States with uh, with the guys at Punchbowl News and The Daily Punch, all the way up to kind of big series that top uh, top you know top ten lists of the year, like Wind of Change last year and the clearing the year before. So uh, definitely lean hard into content. work with Spotify, work with uh, everybody else in the space um, and and big and spoken word both across broadcast as well as streaming and podcasts. Naomi?
4: Hi, everyone. Um, I am the CEO and founder of Meet Cute. We are a audio fiction company that creates short scripted romantic comedies. And we take romantic comedies in a really broad sense of the word. So it's really any story that makes you feel good or optimistic. Um, and we launched about a year ago now, we have over 1.6 million listens. Um, and we're cranking out stories at a really fast clip. So we have over 230 stories in our library. Um, And I really like what Erica and JD both said about um, community building around content. I think that that is something that we're finding listeners really like um, just, just being emotionally connected to a community and not just the stories themselves. So um, we kind of are a vertically integrated romantic comedy company where we'll do everything from these 15-minute audio stories to taking that into video, you know, one-day film and TV adaptations, um, talk show podcasts, editorial content, and really trying to build out the Marvel universe for rom-coms.
0: I think if we're going alphabetical, RJ.
6: Cool, thanks. Um, nice to talk to you all. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, I'm RJB. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Osiris Media, and we are a music podcast company. So we're kind of, you know, building this bridge between music and podcast. And um, Erica, I want to also use the post podcasting um, idea. I mean, I, I come to this world from doing a podcast about my favorite band, Fish. Uh, you know, I've been doing I did that for eight or so years, but then came into podcasting, bringing existing podcasts together that reach music fans. And we have about 50 podcasts um, on our platform now, and we've, we've transitioned toward creating original content, but we've created this community of music fans that are really passionate about, you know, the bands and the music they love, starting with the jam band world, and now we're expanding into other genres. But it's really now becoming um, our goal to just tell great music stories, and, and there's so many stories in music... And there's so many music fans out there who want to hear more about their favorite artists, about the festivals and, you know, musical moments they love and, and that sort of thing. So we're definitely, I think, about it way more in terms of what are the stories we can tell, who are the characters who can, you know, bring these stories to life, whether they're artists or fans or, or other people. So um, I really like what you said, Erica. And, uh, yeah, the community between, you know, music and podcasts, I think it's, it's starting to come together,
7: and that's kind of what we're uh, – what we're trying to do, uh, Rob. Um, hey, everybody! Thanks, thanks for having me, um, Rob. Rob Herding. I'm the CEO and founder of Q Code. Um, we are a uh, fiction, a, a fiction-based podcast company that uh, started about two years ago, um, and have worked across a variety of genres. Um, our first series was Blackout with Rami Malik. Um, but have we've done 10 or so since. Um, a couple others I've mentioned, Dirty Diana with Demi Moore, Hank the Cowdog with, with Matthew McConaughey, amongst uh, others. Um, I come from the world of film and television. I was an agent previously at, at CAA, so kind of approached the space, um, you know, through a different prism and got really excited about, um, you know, just... The audio space as a new outlet for for storytelling, um, and so thinking about the uh, the radio drama, and got inspired thinking back to you know War of the Worlds and things like that. Um, was a huge fan of a lot of um, you know Gimlet's, Gimlet's early fictional scripted content, and um, you know I'm really excited about where the, the space is is moving. Um, similar to to what um, a number of others have just said, I think. You know, beyond podcasting, um, you know, there's such an opportunity for, uh, you know, for these stories to serve as platforms um, for for building new worlds. So um, that's a big a big part of what we're we're looking to explore next as as we expand. And um, as I mentioned, we've done 10 and are looking to, to get really ambitious Uh, this year and release fifteen new shows. So um yeah I was was fascinated to to listen to the Spotify event today and I think it's you know really really exciting moment rich to what you said. I think um just continued momentum overall for for where this is all heading. Rob for you Oh sorry go ahead. No I forgot Steve. Steve
8: I am sorry. Yeah, one more light. I'm, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little emotionally devastated now. I can, recover, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> can you recover um, is the question. I, I, listen, we're going to find out. We're just going to do it live. Uh, I'm Steve Raises. I've also realized that I've forgotten to change my profile picture from when I signed up to this. So uh, that's my son Nolan and you'll be seeing a more updated professional profile picture in the next hour. Uh, I'm the SVP for uh, Viacom CBS podcasting. Uh, Rob, it's funny. I I grew up uh, kind of loving the same thing, you know, the War of the Worlds, so the Shadow Knows. The audio to me has always been this kind of just a wonderful place to escape and this unique storytelling opportunity. Um, you know, to that point, ViacomCBS kind of has a, a, an interesting and, and somewhat different position within the podcasting landscape. You know, for us, a lot of it is about you know kind of leaning into sort of the fan favorite IP right across the entire ViacomCBS portfolio. So. I've got the wonderful job of, you know, working with all these different brands and kind of trying to figure out, you know, what shows, what talent, what franchises can live, not just in the world of linear and social and digital and live and, and games, but but also in, in podcasting and to really kind of try to lean into that DNA um, and figure that out. And so... That really helps us kind of broaden and, you know, build the brand out because at the end of the day, you know, our fans just simply want the Daily Show in, in all of its various forms and different iterations. And so we do the Daily Show Ears Edition, which is sort of a, a show cast. We do the Daily Show Podcast Universe, which is a five-episode scripted series. We're going to be having, you know, a number of new correspondent uh, IPs coming out. So we look at that across the entire portfolio to sort of see how we can build and grow. And, you know, it may feel a little Pollyannish. To state this, but but it is our belief that we can help grow the pie, right, and that we actually are able to bring people in from the linear shows and cross pollinate that into podcasting, and you know, and hopefully what we're able to do is is to continue to just grow the overall audience. Great. So I guess
1: let's kind of get back to the actual stream on event that happened today. Just wanted to kind of open it up out there. Um, or go around, maybe start with Erica. Was there anything that surprised you um, about what Spotify said today or any of the initiatives that they kind of brought to light?
3: Uh, no. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was very highly produced. Like They clearly put a lot of effort into the story. I think at its core, Spotify is a music company, which really came through. They're clearly a very global company, which also came through. Podcasting is important, but you really didn't hear about podcasting, I don't know, until you were halfway through that presentation, I guess I would say, maybe a little bit less than. Um, I couldn't tell who they were talking to. Like I couldn't tell if it was a call to arms for artists or podcasters. It clearly wasn't for advertisers. Um, Rich and Brandon, maybe it was for people, and Walt, like maybe it was for people like you guys. I don't know. Um,
1: there was definitely the expectation that investors were going lift, uh, to lift, listen closely, and there was actually a Q&A with the investment community uh, later in the day. So I think that was part of the objective. I think it, overall it was kind of a, a mix, and targeted towards everyone i guess and trying to be as broad based as possible it wasn't like an upfront it wasn't like a google io it wasn't an investor day it was kind of like a mix of everything i'd say
3: but to what end like what's the like i agree with the opening remarks like you have Apple out talking about what their innovation is going to be behind closed doors with a lot of NDAs. You've got Spotify now out here posturing about their global platform and the level of the reach and also um, how creator-focused they are, which is awesome. I think both are trying to be creator-focused. I think both are doing it in a very different way. Um I didn't feel like it's a Spotify partner that I was like – I didn't feel like there was anything revolutionary for me or that spoke to me in particular, but I'm not sure it was supposed to. I think the most – actually, the only thing that surprised me is how – is the lack of Joe Rogan. (laughs) Meaning that there was no discussion really of Joe the entire time, two Uh, hours basically, no Joe Rogan discussion. Not one
0: mention of Joe Rogan.
3: Like that's bananas. Sure.
0: That, Despite that's it being like their biggest podcaster, and
3: that's like but, when people partner with Barstool Sports and then they don't put us in the like presentation, which happens a lot. Like I, I understand why that happens. There's a reason you don't put Joe Rogan and you do put Jamel Hill. Like I, I, it, I think they were very calculated in who they showed and who they didn't. Um, but I thought that that was very striking given the size of that deal and the press and news around that
2: deal. I mean, you can't really hide him, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's hard to hide him. I mean, he was on. He came on Clubhouse, what was it, last night, the night before, and maybe they were upset about that. But he maxed but out the I room. Him
3: feature him <laughs> are two really different things.
9: Yeah.
3: If I were
9: Can we just lose, uh, Erica?
1: Yeah, we lost her. She was just in the middle of a good thought too.
0: Did did others feel that way? I mean, I'd love to just get reaction from everyone else. Like, how did you feel about the event relative to that?
7: I'll I'll jump in and say I I, I largely agree with with what Eric has said. I mean, it, to me, it felt like a very broad presentation. It was trying to appeal to a little bit of everyone. Um, you know which overall I, I I felt like was was look it's a good thing um, which as you pointed out, there were so many there's so many little things that they were doing um, nothing shocked me um, I took the the biggest takeaway um, you know for me was was uh, some of the stuff that they're doing around advertising and creating you know i I really feel like monetization is one of the keys for for creators in the community still and so um You know they're they're working towards creating um more opportunities on that front and i think that's going to be big over the long term um but uh yeah i agree with erica i mean obviously there's a lot of um you know heavy music slant to it um for for us in particular i was i was personally interested in the the hi-fi uh you know option that they talked about um relevant to what we do but um yeah, more, more a lot of little things. I didn't, I didn't think there was this, a big revelation that came out of it, but, um, you know, uh, really really well put together, polished, and, and uh, I think a fun event for the industry at large. I, I will say, this is Steve, I, I'm, I'm excited
8: to see what they do, and I'm going to mispronounce this with, with the algatorial, right? I, I think discovery is, is, is such a problem. For for all of us, and, and I think if we you know, we as an industry can figure out how to solve that, it's going to bring. you know, How many people do we lose who come in for one podcast and then never come back? So, if if they've got a better way to kind of solve that, I think
0: that is going to be sort of a rising tide raising okay. all boats. And I'm sorry, Steve. Why do you think that is? Like, what do you think drives the fact that you get someone in but they don't stay? Like, what? What's your observation on why they don't stick around? Is that the platform's fault? Or is that your marketing fault? Like where does it kind of where does the fault yeah. lie from that?
8: I, I honestly I, I think it lies with all of us. I think we've done, you know, a good job at making some great podcasts, but we still don't have enough diverse voices. We still don't have enough content which is amazing, right? Like there are one point five million podcasts up in the Apple store, they're forty million plus episodes. But you're still getting people that like pop in for for winds of change or pop in for cereal or you know pop in for some one thing and we can't look up. You know, I, I, I know, you know, we've got the people who listen to the six hours and forty minutes and they're hardcore and we've got them. But everyone else, um, I still think it's it's um, I can't remember who said it right, but like it's an issue of choice, right? You walk into the store and there's twenty things for toothpaste on the, the shelf and you panic and you
2: walk out. How do we make the how do we make discovery and choice easier? So, so why do you think it is taking? And whether it is is Steve or anyone else on the panel, why is it taking so long to turn this into a business? I mean, podcasts have been around for a long time. Apple's had that that app there for a while. Like, what the hell is taking so long?
5: I, I look at it a different way, Walt. I mean, I, I, I yeah, po- podcasts have been around for a long time. But you know, when I see an event like like today or or anything that we've done at Intercom or you know, iHeart or Sirius or others have done. I mean, I still feel like we're super early days. What is about to be, you know, sort of the, the explosion of audio? I think we're all kind of singing from the same hymnal, even though we come at it a different way. So, you know, any event that celebrates audio, I, I left video three and a half years ago to come to audio because I thought there was a huge uh, upswing opportunity with very little headroom, uh, both in terms of audience uptake, you know, the eyes are kind of busy at this point, uh, but the ears are still open, as well as uh, from an advertiser standpoint. The media, whether it's broadcast radio or podcast, as you're saying, Walt, are super under-monetized and advertiser demand I mean, I don't think any of us can fulfill all the demand that we have coming in right now, which is a good problem to have. So, I still think we're early days. You know, today was a big music-focused day. When I saw it, as Erica said, um, I think when you when your DNA is in spoken word, I think you approach these kinds of things a little bit differently. So it's interesting to see we're all trying different things from a different angle. But you know, from a consumer standpoint, from an advertiser standpoint, this is a is a great moment for the market, for the industry, for listeners because we're all investing, we're all innovating. You know. Each one of us up here is trying something different. Um, we work with everybody as much as we compete healthy with everybody. So I actually think it's still very early days, both for listeners and for advertisers.
1: And you bring up advertise. Sorry, Erica. Ju- just want to say one thing. You br- you brought up advertising. One of the most surprising things I heard today was when Daniel <laughs> said he expects, I think, tw- somewhere, and I know it's a wide range, but somewhere between 20 and 40%. Of spotify's eventual revenue base to be advertising, and they definitely on the podcast side spoke to um, the lack of inventory that they had being the biggest problem to to further monetization now it's
5: not like there's lack of advertiser demand we are. We all have the same problem i mean we 're sold out from a you know uh, from a streaming perspective. I think everybody in the industry is i think we're we're all relatively well monetized from a podcast perspective in terms of supply. Rates are going up, which is awesome. I think the the macro issue though is you know you guys have reported on it. I mean the number of rating points available for TV is what, down 40% in the last few years? Um, and and connected TV supply isn't scaling to meet that demand. And so, you know, advertisers know audio works. The ROI, when you're talking to theater of the mind, you know, a lot of the guys talked about theater of the mind earlier, and there's something different that happens in your brain when you're listening versus when you're watching. And if you're an advertiser, you want to be in the most effective place to convert a customer Audio is a pretty damn effective place. We've all learned it. The data has shown it. The studies show it. And, and, um, and so, you know, we have to create more supply. We have to be careful that we don't turn audio into the early days of the display marketplace. And I think we're all trying to be very thoughtful about that, balancing moving to scale while also keeping the efficacy of the medium up and keeping the listener experience pure. But, um,
0: but yeah, I mean, it, there's not enough supply to meet the advertiser demand, which I still say is a really good problem to have. The the stat was 39% of TV ratings points for advertisers have disappeared in just the last four years.
4: I'm just going to jump in, um, both on Steve's point and on JD's point. On Steve's, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, just discoverability because I do think that's one of the biggest, um, pulls to different platforms that a creator can experience, especially in the early days, um, For us, we're quite platform agnostic, so our stories are everywhere, and really our job is to just create stories that delight listeners and meet them wherever they are. So I think from a platform perspective, they win if they keep people on their platform for longer, the same way that Netflix wants to keep you on their platform by – Put like putting that you know ten second countdown before the next episode plays. If they can keep you engaged for longer, they win. So I think that the technology by which you can match a podcast or a creator to a listener really effectively and and say for instance like meet cute listeners love Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish, you you always serve up meet cute to those people and vice versa. Having that technology really um, down pat, I think is going to create more engaged listeners and that's going to benefit the listener. It's going to benefit the creator and it's going to benefit the platform. So I think that, um, I think Walt made that point earlier, which is like, why haven't we seen more of that? And this ties into what JD said. I actually think the podcast market is more established than people give it credit for like advertising on, in podcasts. Now you can, you can target people and it's starting to feel a lot more like Instagram targeting where you're like, who are these listeners? What do they like to listen to? Where do they live? All of that is becoming more and more possible as the market grows. And so I think that um, discoverability and the fact that the market is still nascent, but definitely developing and looking a lot more like socials when it comes to advertising, um, it it points to like, this is definitely like, I think it's going to be like, you know, I've seen numbers about podcast ads being like $1 billion market in 2021. So I don't think that that's, um, and I don't think that it's as small as as we, or as early as we talk about um, normally. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I agree with Naomi. Like, I think, I don't
3: think it's that early for podcasting. I think podcasting has a massive long tail problem, which is the same thing. I agree with JD. It's the same problem we had in the internet. And then, We created horrible pop-unders, pop-ups, fireworks, like sparklers coming out of your display page. Like, I think the same thing actually is happening. I was just talking to Jeff Jacobson. I think he's in this chat, like good, good friend of mine, one of the leaders in this space. And, you know, he was saying, hey, I listened to the Obama Springsteen pod today, which is like rolled out huge amount of hoopla to mega stars And the ad experience was a dynamic, like a robo ad for Starbucks. There was no personalization. There was no heartfelt story. There was no narrative to it. It was in no way editorialized. And I think, you know, one of the greatest things from radio is the way the power of the host read, I think, has been one of the single biggest drivers of the podcast business because the endorsement of the host is what has driven conversion to be astronomical compared to desktop display or even mobile display or, frankly, even social ads. And I think that's the risk in the ad That's the risk with the ad piece. Like we've been very vigilant. You mean
0: making it less personal? Like your fear is if the advertising isn't as personal with whoever your host is, you know, when you're, you know, call her daddy host, you know, when she reads the ad and it's something she can talk to passionately about, that is just so different than kind of
3: inserting an ad dynamically from whoever, even if it is a relevant brand, it's still just different. Yeah, and the players are set up so that you can skip forward and backwards in an increment of 15 or 30 seconds. Extremely easy. When you hear the beginning of an ad, what you are instantly going to be able to do, which you cannot do in radio, and you can do on YouTube, is just skip. If you look at our business, you know, when Big Cat gives a read, when Big Cat is on Pardon My Take and he's giving an ad read – It feels like something personal from Big Cat, and we work hard at that. We work hard to make make our ads editorial, and I think that's partly the danger that we're all in, which is everyone is so striving for monetization. Everyone is striving for legitimization, and they're striving for scale and ease of use, and the expense of that is going to be creativity. I, I think the other interesting thing is the absence of the IAB. And you know you look at Spotify giving this like I don't think anybody's following any any rules anymore about when you give an investor presentation, when you give an ad presentation, when you give a, a creator presentation, which I personally love, but I think that's also what's so interesting is the new front is coming, the podcast upfront moved to the spring, which I think is kind of bananas, so I, I think the whole space is kind of confused about how it thinks about the ad market. And I give Spotify a ton of credit for, frankly, getting ahead of it.
1: Definitely appreciate your points on the host's red ads. Just two things to consider. One is I think a lot of podcasts, depending on what type of podcast, are actually listened to, not even close to in real time. So how do you, how do you solve for advertising um, when there's a delay in listening? And then also the power of targeting.
3: W- I don't think that I don't think that ever I don't think that time has to do with it, right? A host, read, Colin Cowherd, saying he loves a product matters more than a standard pre-recorded ad. It will always carry more weight.
1: But it also limits the amount of products that you can advertise on podcasts. If you go
5: that totally. But, but it's, yeah. not, it's not an either. It's not an either or, though. I mean, this is one of the, I think the biggest misconception in, is in the industry. The vast majority of our host read ads are still inserted dynamically. So we can do a tune in ad for a client. And to Erica's point, the host read ad, whether it's on radio or podcast or streaming, is hands down the most effective ad, and we should be charging. Hardly. We should be charging tens of thousands of dollars of CPMS for it. Frankly. Um, hold on, hold on, but, hold on,
0: stop there, stop there. So to Walt's question, why are you not like why are you underselling that ad, ad right now? If you're sold out, demand is high. Brands want to be, or consumers want are there, and brands want to be there. Why are you not jacking the price? Like, what's stopping prices?
5: That? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll be careful what I say here, Rich, but I would say, generally speaking, prices are high, and and you know, we and I think the rest of the market sees it expanding. The only threat is an actor who comes in and undercuts or brings sort of bad ad practices from displays we said earlier into the media and i think we're all at least the folks on this panel i'm sure are working hard to make sure that doesn't happen my point was that we can still rip ads out after two weeks or four weeks we can push other ads in and by the way we can also have the host cut five or six different ads and insert those based on who the audience is so we can combine the host red creative with a targeted campaign and then we can also take that same host red creative and apply that across across other shows in the network where it makes sense and insert those, you know, using DAI, using dynamic ad insertion technology. So you can do both. And you just have to be really smart and thoughtful about how you do it. And you have to have really great talent.
0: And how does yeah. it work tech wise? I was just going to say, like on the tech side, how many ads come I mean, Is it limitless? Like if you have a host of one of your shows, can they read 10 different ads and then dynamically insert any of the 10 or like how and does it work on every platform or are there still some where that's a with that's a challenge
5: so from our perspective, yes, everything is dynamically inserted. Uh, we, we insert it into the RSS feed. So, so any player, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Amazon on our end or our own player radio.com, any app is just picking up our RSS feed and all the ads are self contained. Uh, but we insert it into the feed, whether it's in the first position, the middle position, whether we want to add units, whether we want to reduce units. It's all controlled at the ad server level, which we control exclusively.
6: Yeah, I just wanna jump in just on the from a creator perspective, what I found I didn't find anything particularly surprising about this, but um, I think the um, you know, as a, as someone who's trying to create an audience and bring an audience in and you can you can try to bring your audience onto Spotify, right? And and create more potential value but your audience has to go to Spotify, right? And we're like to me it's like a it's a little bit of a wait and see how it develops and and weighing the risks versus the rewards of like, do we want to create content on a platform where we will, you know, have to have all of our listeners go there to hear it? Um, from a music perspective, I think the the announcement they made—I guess it was late last year—about you know creating the playlist music combo, um, so you can hear your full songs with with talking in between. We're going to launch a show using that tool soon, which I think is a great tool, but I like. From a music perspective, that allows you to listen to full songs. So to me, that's more important than any ad tech stuff that, that you can right now get, you know, on, on any other platform where you can, where it's open and you can listen anywhere. So that's like, kind of like make, a, can you yeah. just walk people through exactly how it's going to work in terms of what you're rolling out? Um, so, so you, if you go through Anchor, you can create a podcast where you have segments of talking and then you can play full songs from Spotify's catalog. So it'll play on Spotify as a playlist, but you can have, you know, a few minutes of talking, then a song, a few minutes of talking, a song. They, uh, Spotify's rolled out a few originals that were built with this model, but, like, that's, to me, that's a great use of Spotify because you're getting around the hurdles, which are very familiar to everyone with music licensing in podcasts, and you're allowing listeners to have that experience with songs, but you also, you're also... You know, it, it's not really about the advertising experience um, in that case. It's just about utilizing what they have to offer, which is which is every song under the sun, you
2: know. I, I want to hop in here on a kind of a different tangent of this. Which my, my friend Marty um, is always hassling me about how you can't search for podcasts on Google. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but like if you're closed in Spotify, couldn't the demand really explode if you tied in better search and, and open this stuff up and maybe you get people paying for, for, uh, first, first search to try and get the, get bigger uptake. I mean, we've always seen advertising tied to Google search. You know, why is that not happening? Or if it, if it is, why is it not used more often?
4: I think, um, with, with a lot of like SEO for podcasts, it's, Based heavily on what you put into show notes, because that's how people will find certain keywords. And so I think that the onus is on the creator creators right now to kind of build out their own SEO. But I do think that um, platforms help through just like promotion around specific events or or marketing tent poles. Um, and that's kind of where the value from the platforms has really been for us at Meet Cute, at least, as we have, we have we have this kind of evergreen library of scripted content. So, one thing that we've really thought about is how do we resurface old stories and bring them back into conversation? And I think that having um, search an SEO be a part of that. So like if someone searches for LGBTQ rom-com to like get neat with the Spotify or Apple um, you know, or like whatever platforms um, kind of SEO bump would be really helpful, but I haven't really seen that capability yet. And so far it's based on show notes from what I know.
1: I guess I want to get back to kind of what RJ brought up, which is creator tools. And that was a big focus today. Wanted to see if anyone else had any thoughts about um, why creators might want to use Anchor or Spotify to create podcasts.
3: I mean, I think that what's very interesting that's happening is that when you look at the new platforms, they are geared towards the individual creator, right? Like we, we deal with this a little bit at Barstool where we're almost too big. And frankly, most of the people on this call are too big, too established. We're not an individual creator. Therefore, the set of tools and protocols that are established are not necessarily for us, right? A good example on TikTok is if I were to create something for me personally, I can use music. If I'm creating something for barstool sports, I cannot, right? So, so I think that that's a trend that's happening across all new media platforms, including Spotify, including TikTok, you know, you name it, across the board. Um, I think the other thing for creators is like I don't think the barrier of entry is that hard right I think that you could use Spotify you can go to Apple Apple's going to create its own set of services for you they're ultimately going to duke each other out on is an ad supported model better or is a subscription model better and like what's better for the creator like I think that's going to be one of the biggest debates we have in media is do you go far and wide and hope for audience and ads Or do you go go deep and narrow and hope for subscriptions? And I I, I think that's going to be fascinating. Um, And ultimately, I don't think most people care. I think what they struggle with is why the hell should anyone listen to the 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 90 minutes of content that you're making? I think that's the bigger issue in podcasting, is how do you aggregate audience with what you have to say?
1: By the way, just brought up Joel... Who raised his hand? Who's the ad tech and podcast product lead at Spotify? So, welcome, Joel. Thanks, y'all. My first time speaking on uh, on Clubhouse, so I'm honored. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess just for the group, you know, I, I guess just one of the questions that just keeps standing out to me is, um, you know, as
0: you think about sort of the development of the podcast ecosystem. Um, you know, it still feels like our, our single biggest problem is that the way that I find out about almost every podcast that I, that I listen to is Walt tells me to listen to something or Brandon or some other friend. Like, it still seems like a word of mouth game. And it's funny when I listened to my, one of my first podcasts was when I really was getting into serial after Brandon was yelling at me for not listening to it. If that was a great example of it was word of mouth. And that was what five years ago. And we're still basically in a word of mouth world. And I, I just wonder, like, When does that change? Like, I think, you know, my daughter listens. You know, she loves your podcast, Erica, Token CEO. But, you know, she knows that because of, you know, some other friend she had who told her to listen to it. And not even me, to be honest. But, like, I just feel like does that ever change? Like, Do we ever get to the point where there really is good discovery for podcasts? The question about –
3: Oh, go ahead, Erica. Sorry. I think there's two things, which is Spotify needs to prove that they can grow someone from the ground. That's the challenge for Spotify. They have to grow someone the same way we grow. Like if you look at what we've grown at Barstool, like we've gritted our way to growth and all of our talent for for the most part is entirely homegrown. Um, I think they have to do that to prove the whole value proposition because they've done it in music, right? The Jay Balvin story is a great was a great story. They, they showed his growth and how they as a platform were able to achieve that. I think they have to do the same thing in podcasting. I think the other thing that needs to happen is it has to become cultural, right? Like when you look at Caller Daddy, what's fascinating about Caller Daddy is you go onto a college campus right now, assuming kids were in college. You're going to see a sweatshirt that says Daddy Gang, and you're like, what's Daddy Gang? And then you answer the question of what's daddy gang and you download the podcast. So like, I think those are the things that really have to happen for any platform to truly become transcendent and also to establish themselves as a true vehicle for creators, not just a platform on which their content can live.
4: Yeah, I think um, I'll just add on to that. Like they have like 2 million podcasts or something and they've shown that they can acquire the, the best, like, names and the biggest podcasts. But um, I think it's a very different muscle to create a community um, from something that doesn't exist yet. And that is... Totally agree. Someone made the, like, comment about being... Like, Spotify is, like, the vertically integrated stack. It, like, goes, it does everything from music to podcasts to tools Um And so they need to create the vertically integrated stack for a storyteller that haven't had a platform on socials or anywhere else yet.
5: I think the question earlier about search, um, Brandon or Walt—I don't remember who asked it—is is a really important question. To Erica's point, you know, there's two ways to grow a podcast audience right now. One is word of mouth because you built a great community, and whether you sell merch or whether friends tell friends, or this sort of social virality around it, and that—that's the classic way. The second is, you know, you lean into whether it's a barstool or Intercom or, or any of the other sort of major players, and we can put you across a big podcast network. In our case, we can put you on broadcast, which really drives audience, and we focus on earned media. You know, we do a lot of work on PR, as does everyone else, sort of getting our shows out there into major mainstream media. But the third way, which doesn't still exist at scale yet today, is around search and is around discovery at the topic level. And, you know, audio hasn't moved around the internet very well for the last 20 years, which is why I said earlier, I think we're still at the early days. We've all hacked video players to get embedded audio. We've used, you know, audiograms on social and sort of native video players. But... Until we have really native transcription, sentiment analysis, and then ultimately surface in search at scale broadly across the internet, you know, you're missing that third dimension of being found out because somebody's looking for something specific. So I think that's, there's a lot of innovation going on there. The best thing about audio, is that it is really broad and pervasive, unlike YouTube. Even though podcasts and YouTube developed very similarly, there is no one single platform. And I think at the end of the day, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for consumers and for advertisers. But it does mean that there's some fundamental plumbing from search and all of, all the platforms working together that still does need to be laid for that third kind
0: of discovery around topic. Um, what, it's hard to not, when you talk about the word discovery in podcast. Um, I'm excited that Steve came up on stage Steve Wilson's at Q Code. He's chief strategy officer for Rob, but he came from Apple. You know, I guess, Rob, I mean, this seems like it's a problem that's been an industry problem for, for many, many years. I assume you don't disagree with that. It's just sort of um, something that the entire industry has to address. But I'd be curious your thoughts on sort of the discover mode that, that Spotify introduced today.
7: Yeah, uh, well, Rich, I wasn't sure if you were you were directing that at Steve, but I, I'm happy oh, to Steve. T- whoever. Steve, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't
0: know if Steve wanted to talk on stage, so we had him off. But it's up to him or you, whichever
7: one. Um, well, I, look, I'll, I'll give um, I'll give my insight and then happy to hand it to Steve because I think he has some great perspective on that from his time at Apple. But um, you, you know, I I certainly think. Um, you know, and, I, and just talking a little bit of, in the context of the Spotify presentation, I think that there's, um, you know, a question around how much how much editorializing can these can and should these platforms do? Um, you know, I think I think Apple has done quite a bit of that. They have those, you know, the flowcase banners, and I think you're seeing Spotify start to um, experiment with all all types of you know different versions. Um, you know, I think that needs to continue to get more robust. Um, I think, I do think that that's um, another big part. Like when you, you open the Spotify podcast, people usually flip around in there. You're either searching for something or you might be cruising, but you, you you're likely not spending a ton of time. So um, my, my just my personal feeling is, you know, really taking a look at how that can work and how that can benefit. Uh, of, you know, not not even just you know, networks like a lot of the people on this panel, but, but really promoting new, uh, you know, new content, um, you know, wide and diverse range of it, I think is really key.
0: Steve, anything to add?
10: Yeah, I would just say, Hey guys, uh, excited to be up here with everyone. Um, and, and so many familiar faces who I had a privilege to work with for many years. Um, you know, I think just on this question of discovery, um, as you mentioned, Rich, you know, I spent, uh, long period of time working at Apple on editorial and partner relations and marketing, you know, I think it's always going to be a combination of platforms offering publishers great tools for discovery and great programs for that matter. I was excited to see today Spotify really talking about and highlighting their marketing programs for artists and podcasters. I think that's really critical that on the platform side, uh, you know, there's a there's a heavy investment in terms of discovery and highlighting top content. It's it's always going to be editorial and those kinds of programs which help push from their end to help gin up word of mouth. I mean, I think, you know, going back to even my time at Apple on Serial, part of what we had done differently there was promote that show with a four-week pre-subscribe uh, moment with a trailer, right? And no one at the time was doing that kind of, you know, release strategy for a podcast. Which spun up, you know, word of mouth. And I think, you know, we, we always will make decisions based on what movies we watch based on what our friends are. Um, so I think that was critical. I love that they're doing that. I love that they're investing in, you know, topic search and that level of discovery. That's something that, um, you know, Apple has invested in. They bought audio search a few years ago. Google's talked about transcription and, and those, I don't remember what the example of the, that they searched in. Um, you know, those kinds of topic-based searches are available in Apple Podcasts today. Um, I think part of the challenge is we're going to have to all train users that that, that sort of search works reliably um, in a way that is going to change users' expectations for how they search, where right now it is a lot of just searching for barstool sports. You know, getting to the level of uh, more specific granular terms is going to also help, I think. But, you know, users haven't been used to that level of um, – reliable search I think in the past in podcasts
0: so just but, a couple it, thoughts it, there it, it, well, it, when, when somebody comes in does, does somebody even think like oh I want to comedy"? like what do you think people no, are actually I, I mean, how there? do you
3: even ask for it like that like in our world, anyways, like what our guys are, and girls talk about is so ridiculous. Like I don't even know how you would, <laughs> how you would capture it in a search. Well, why don't you enlighten us, Erica? Well, well, I mean, what
1: are some, some of I the have. words that would go into the? What are some of the meta tags that would go around the podcast? I mean, podcast? are you
3: like looking for like the Gluck Gluck Nine Thousand, and you're like, oh great, <laughs> I'm going to find a podcast like. <laughs> You know, are you going to look for R.A.'s gambling corner or, you know, uh, that's what I think is hard. Of, I think that's what's so funny about this is that it's it's actually not point. It's not seek and destroy. You know what I mean? It's not. How do you understand what satiates you? It's someone's voice. It's their humor. It's like the in. It's more nuanced. Do you know what I mean? Sure,
0: but, 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 let, but let me just take a counterpoint. Walt didn't know that he would love Lupin, or however you say it on, on Netflix, but they suggested something based on everything he had watched, and he really enjoyed it. And there has to but, be lots of podcasts that I would really enjoy if I knew but they existed. that's not
3: search. That's curation, and that's the yes. algorithm piece. That's, there's a huge difference. Curation matters a great deal.
1: Well, part of it is... Because podcasting is so new, there's not been a real taxonomy built around it, and I think there are some, like PodChaser, who are, who are working to make that happen now, and hopefully over the next couple of years, that'll be, that taxonomy will be able to be used by the likes of Spotify and Apple, and others, um, to to make podcasts more searchable. But yeah, to your point, I don't know how you search around a voice that speaks to you that's just not possible
3: i I think what's interesting is like netflix like if you look at netflix and spotify like there's a lot of cues that spotify can take from netflix netflix understands trending they understand curation they understand the algorithm obviously like you know I, i think that the question for spotify is like or, or more the statement I guess is like when they can find and determine what's the next wrapped caviar and what's the wrapped caviar of podcasts then they win and I think well, that they've rented their talent so they haven't been able to do that do you know what I mean
1: I, I, I'd love I'd to pose a question to the group which is um, and this was referenced earlier which is most of the, the podcasters that are on this call are like heavily ad-supported to what extent do you feel like your problem right now in this business is just supply and that the demand is there? Like is 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 that a fair question? I mean, do you think that you could scale your audience 2x and advertiser demand is not 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 the the, the main concern? I think J D had some thoughts on this earlier. Do you want to jump in
5: here, J D? And the short answer is yes. You know, I think, um, and and Eric and some others were referencing this earlier, there's not one type of podcast and there's not one type of podcaster. There's bigger portfolio companies like some of those, you know, here. There's folks who are trying to innovate the long tail. There's the kind of creator economy, which, uh, Joel, I know, you know, you guys are trying to to build some tools around. Obviously, Apple's been reported to do that. So as the industry goes, it's going to bifurcate. In terms of, Big networks with premium supply. Yes, we're supply constrained, and um, there's clearly some things on the ad tech side that would make demand continue to flow at the growth rates that we're seeing it. But it really is about um, it really is about supply. My my read on the on the ecosystem generally is that there's there are a tremendous number of creators who are short of whatever that magic threshold is where you get
1: to individual show, you reach the the number of downloads where suddenly we're willing to sell you on a show-by-show basis and, and you can eke out an, an ad-supported model. And then there's the everything north of that where you can sell your inventory on a show-by-show basis, but it's a very inefficient model where – you your forecasts for supply are relatively conservative and you wind up not being able to sell through your full audience. Um, so I, I think you know there there's an efficiency gap in, in podcasts where there's a model that works really, really well for shows who are of a certain size and it only works well to a certain extent. And past that um, it's, it's hard to actually like get every impression filled. And, and I think that like the question for the industry is how do we take that model that's worked really well, which a lot of like you guys have been speaking to the magic of post red ads, that efficacy. So what is the equivalent of the more efficient product that both can help people who are starting out early? Um, with a very small audience, connect to revenue early on. But they can also help larger creators who can't necessarily fill, you know, that last ten percent of their inventory. Um, it, it feels like that's kind of the gap that that, that podcasting needs to needs to figure out and, and move move beyond.
5: I, I just say, and I, I don't mean to mon- monopolize the conversation around this, Joel. But to your first point on the long tail, I think there's two approaches to the long tail. There's the one that you know you guys and others are are, are thinking about, which is targeted networks across a uh, scale of smaller shows that together, at an inventory level, bundle. And I think that's interesting. Um, as long as we don't make terrible ads and NASCAR up our our uh, shows, I think that um, there's opportunity there. And there's some buyers who are clearly going to want to buy that way. Not all of them. But there's another area of the long tail, which is what could we use to make buying host red ads at scale in the mid to long tail scalable? And I think, you know, there's a there's. A lot of folks out there who are trying to innovate around that. That to me is as interesting, if not more interesting and compelling, than building a an audio ad network or, or sort of making what we do for streaming work for for podcasts. There's nothing wrong with both approaches, but I think we should be clear that there's more than one approach to the long tail. In terms of large shows, the other thing I would say is, you know, again for those who may have large shows and have supply constraints, back to the NASCAR point, we got to be careful that the listener experience, what a lot of folks on the panel have described as this deep community between creator and fan or creator and listener, that the listener experience reigns supreme. It cannot be about filling the mathematical equation number of impressions because we're still driving great price and great value out of shows. It's got to be about doing justice to the listener. You know, In radio and in sort of the industry that we were born out of, great stations do that and great program directors have great latitude over what ads go on their station and don't. And when you break that chain, when the creator no longer has um provenance over the ad experience your ratings fall apart and your community leaves and so we need to take that kind of cautious tale as we try to continue to scale at the head end of the industry too yeah yeah Uh, and there are a number of cautionary
9: tales uh that that should inform the way that podcast advertising develops over time like whether it is you know just digital and 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 it's relationship with publishers um and but but the incentives are aligned, right? Like a good listener
1: experience equates to a good return on investment for advertisers, and I think that that's the and podcasting is overall a really engaged medium where you have people who are unlike radio um, tracking language, like engaged in narrative and. Um, and that's an in, incredibly engaged listener that you don't just want to you know squander away that um and, and and deliver something that's that's really like just uh channeling you know the same type of creative you would get in other mediums into into this one i think I think from publishers to platforms to advertisers everyone that's aligned on that question so yeah. a little bit. Just
2: so well, well can I just say
6: one quick thing just about yeah, the ad yeah, yeah. experience? Just because I, we, just, we just did an audience survey um, of listeners and, um, you know, overwhelmingly positive about everything. And on the advertising front, we got zero comments at all about live reads, about the custom content we're doing with sponsors, about any of the host-read stuff, and a number of ads on the dynamic insertion front. And like part of that is you know learning the programming side and learning how it, how to do it best and when and where and and inventory, but it also is at least for us where we have this really strong community of people, I think it, it's it can like be a little jarring and it can be um, it can definitely take away from the listener experience and and I think like you said earlier, Judy, it's not one or the other, but um, we're thinking more about that balance and how to make sure that the listener experience is as as good as possible because the con- they come for the content, but I think that you can drive people away over time without, you know, without taking that into account.
4: We're, we're in the same boat as RJ, um, where we have these 15-minute scripted stories, and a mid-roll or pre-roll ad can really pull people out of the listening experience, so actually we, we still don't run ads in our content um, as just like programmatic ads that will interrupt the, the listening experience because we're trying to grow an audience and a community and build trust with our format. So we actually find that ads disrupt that experience quite a bit.
10: Yeah, I would just quickly go back to what was said earlier on, you know, in terms of who the audience is for for today's announcement from Spotify. And, you know, I I think for sure that those of us here on stage uh, and with Joel's uh, inclusion before, I mean, I think... What they're looking at is helping, you know, the millions of podcasts out there, uh, monetize probably at scale through tools like Anchor, which, you know, we might, we might be all past that stage, but, uh, in aggregate helping, you know, them monetize through advertising, um, in a way that the podcast industry hasn't yet really unlocked, uh, to date. And, and I think, I think that's the thing that is, that I
1: really struggle with, uh, in the industry is that, the model that works so well that that is, you know, pushing 1 billion annual, um, in the U S it completely leaves out, um, creators who don't meet a certain threshold and, and for, for this to be sustainable. And one, one of the things that I liked about our presentation today is talked about we're a global business, you know, and, and, um, when we think about pot, the, the focus was larger than music, but we're, launching, you know, like podcasting and, and it's just as much a part of these, these new expansions in different markets. Um, if we want to, for audio to have a sustainable trajectory, then that means it has to have a much lower barrier to entry. And somebody has got to earn their first like local currency unit, whatever it is, um, earlier on in the process, right? than is possible today if you're sitting in the US and you're very privileged to be in the US. And creators have more options uh, today than ever, right? I mean, you can like choose your channel, but there's something really magical I think we'd all agree on in in audio where the visual piece of it is entirely abstracted away, uh, which I think makes it possible for a whole different type of creator to actually have a whole different type of expression. Um and so so anyway I think like there are these problems for for large businesses but the thing that pains me the most about the industry is that there isn't something to encourage people to just like okay you got your first one hundred how do you get to your next two fifty how do you get to your next five hundred etc and like even seeing small sorry I guess, um even seeing small amounts of revenue
2: accrue. Uh, makes a big difference there and, and anyway so maybe we shift gears now because we talked a lot about ads um, to subscription I think I think maybe Spotify announced a plan to beta this and you know, you've seen this happen you know with I think even print where people are, are getting a lot of subscription revenue I think um, Ben Thompson who's a tech guy try to get a subscription uh, or at least reading his a lot of his um, notes into a podcast and he had to do this like fangled thing in order to get people to get this private fee. We do a little bit of the same thing ourselves with our own podcast. So, but just for the broader market, what role do you think subscription is going to play? Is, is this going to be a bigger way for these um, creators to, to monetize their content?
1: He's talking about Patreon like subscriptions, or what Daniel referred to as a la carte. How do you kind of, first of all, Joel, if you could illuminate us at all as to when you think that feature might even um, kind of go into beta, what type of partners you think you're going to have there at the jump, and and then just open it up to everyone else about uh, what your thoughts are on that sort of a la carte. Monetization and what the potential is. I I am the ads guy, so I can only speak to that. The um, good point. That's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. We, we've done we've done so much research with creators, um, and uh, it, like any avenue seems important, uh, especially for folks who are who are really looking for an audience. And so I I think we are. Um, and and Patreon is huge, merch is huge, Um and
0: and so I, I you know I, I think again I, I'm I'm the ads guy. That's that's why built well, uh, so much ne- Let me let me redirect to like Diomi. Like you, you know you're working on the world of rom coms. Like should we be able to subscribe to, you know I mean right now, I think of so many creators who have to go to Patreon or go to other platforms to monetize. I know Apple's working on something in this regard, but. You know, to the extent that they make it easy, you know, is merchandise or, you know, greater interaction or bonus episodes, is that interesting as a podcast creator? Or is that just, you know, like, how do you think about that opportunity right now?
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, um, in the, as we build this community, like, we think about the concentric circles of, of fans. So, like the closest concentric circles to me, cute are the super fans. And I think that they will interact with premium content like exclusive interviews and shows that drop earlier and behind the scenes and things like that. And so as we start to build out those concentric circles, I think we will want a place to identify who our super fans are and then to be able to provide them products and services merch, all of that stuff that goes along with it. So I definitely think that there is a, um, a market for that. And whether that's, you know, built on top of an existing Patreon-like platform or um, done, you know, independently and, and built outside of the platforms, I'm not, I'm not sure yet which of those two paths makes the most sense. But I definitely think that that future makes a lot of sense for a meet-cute
0: like, RJ, should I be selling merch off of your, you know, the Osiris podcast, should I be buying merch and you be able to, you know, set, you know, whether it's or or tour subscriptions or I mean, tick- I mean just fan clubs. Like, I, I always think of like the fan yeah. club and there seems to be, I mean, especially with the music that you do, um, and maybe Rob can jump in after, because obviously he's got sort of deep fiction content. Like, it just, it seems like sort of subscriptions to these worlds seem so logical um on an a la carte yeah. basis. Well, Richard, wait, hold on, before you go, Roger, I mean, yeah.
2: we pay for everything now. I mean, I, I, you know, you click on a link to the Washington Post, New York Times, you know, whatever, like all these streaming things. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that, you know, this isn't a bigger part of where the industry is going. It seems that the consumer is prepared to pay some incremental dollars for the content um, yeah. that they want.
6: For sure, I mean that, that's that's what I was gonna say. I mean, podcasts are free, you know. It's awesome, and and podcasts should be free to listen to. But, but why should it you know, be the only thing that's free? Exactly. I mean, what else I mean, is free? Right. I mean, we have yeah, we have a bunch of merch. You know, we have premium content for and for us, it makes a lot of sense because these are you know passionate music fans who care a lot about the topics. And I do think that the content being free is a, is. Um, you know, I don't think we want to force people to pay for it, but I think we've found through our campaigns that we've done, people are willing to pay. And people sometimes reach out to us and ask us how they can support us, you know, besides maybe buying the, the stuff that we advertise with the discount codes or whatever. Um, so I think there's an appetite for it. To, to me, for our shows, because we have so many shows with artists and, and storytelling shows, we're trying to figure out how to do it strategically and also – how to like figure out the workflow because you, you sign up to do, you know, four more episodes a month or whatever, then that, that kind of changes the workload. But I've found that our fans particularly are like more than willing to jump in and, and support us and, and sometimes ask how.
7: I- I would agree. I, we've, had, we've had a similar experience in, in that, you know, people have reached out independently saying they'd be willing to pay, um, you know, if we dropped our ads or if we did this or that or, at, you know, added bonus content. So um, I, you know, and overall, I think the diversifying of, of the monetization is, is, is a really good thing, right? Not having it all just be reliant on the ad-supported model. Um, so I, you know, I think one of the inherent questions is what is that price for for everyone? Um, you know, I, I think Patreon. There, there are probably some roadmaps out there. Um, you know, Luminary obviously came into the space um, with, with with their model, but I, I think um, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's overall a really good thing, certainly for. I I would, I would think our content and and Naomi and and RJ and some of the others here—it makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure we're not alone. So, um, but it'll be—I think it would be fascinating to to analyze what those price points are and and the various offerings. um, You know, I mean, Steve, you have premium content too that I would think is right up this alley.
8: Yeah, you know, I think for high affinity fan bases, right. People who really care, then you have that opportunity. But, but you know, I think especially for us, you know, you're kind of weighing out. You want that ubiquity, especially kind of in the initial stages when you're growing. Uh, but, but I think there are certain properties when we look across the portfolio that can make sense. and I think there are certain deals and certain players in the space, or you know, the Audibles and the rest, where you know there may be existing deals that you set up, and that's a good
0: way to kind of test. So, m- my last question. I know we're running a little over um, uh, being in an hour, but. I guess is anyone surprised that Wondery was bought by Amazon and what that signals that in terms of I mean obviously this is a Spotify event that we're talking about but I'm curious competition matters and I'm curious if any how everyone thinks about sort of Amazon stepping up and buying Wondery um, and what that could signal for Amazon's future plans if anyone has thoughts.
6: Um, I I just want to I don't know about the like the investment side or the Amazon side but I just want to say that. You know, one thing that this is the Wondery thing shown to me, which I think about as a creator is podcasting being really fully established as a proving ground for other content mediums, right? It seems like Wondery, Wondery's done that kind of the best of, of any of the companies out there. And it seems like that's establishing even more of a pattern. And from a creator perspective, you have to consider that every time you think about whether and how to make a, make a show. Um, so I think that's, that's, what, that's the way I think about that. You know, R- R- Rob's team has
5: done a really good job with that, too. Um, you know, we've, we've got a nice derivatives business. I, I think to tie this question and the last one together, if you're doing it right, when you create a podcast... You're not creating a piece of media for somebody to consume and then be done with, right? You're trying to build a sense of community, whether that's a six-episode limited run series or whether that's 42 weeks a year. And to build a community properly, you need some level of ubiquity. There's always going to be walled gardens out there, but you want to, you know, as Steve said, you want to get that piece of content and ultimately that fandom out to as many people as possible. If you do that right, you can monetize it six ways to Sunday, whether it's merch, whether it's derivatives, whether it's ad-supported at super high premiums, uh, whether it is subscriptions we have a nice little business creating um, creating podcasts for streaming services and TV uh, companies that are that are shoulder programming to their TV show you know I think I think Naomi said it interestingly earlier why aren't there shoulder podcasts to podcasts if they're that big and that good and I know there've been some of that out there so again I not to not to belabor the point but but rich we're, we're really at the early days and I, I think we and a lot of others in this space are frankly heartened to see continued investment in audio um, there's there's a lot of companies that are going to benefit from that, whether it's, you know, Joel's global long-tail creators who are going to be able to make a, a living, that's awesome. Whether it's big media companies like, uh, you know, some that are represented on this panel that are going to be able to, to build these communities out and monetize them to greater value, whether it's platforms. Um, you know, we're early days and it's awesome to see the investment and finally, after a hundred years, people start realizing how much value is in audio and what the value gap is between consumption and the future growth of consumption and the current monetization value creation like that's freaking awesome you know i, I wouldn't want to be in any other space right now
4: huzzah <laughs> i'm oh, sorry go it, ahead joel
1: no i i i do think it's something that uh Spotify did a good job of playing out today uh like the, the that hope and that spirit and the fact that we're just at the beginning of this is something that we're very bought into in our core um and, and so just, just excited to be along for the ride, guys, and to, to partner with all you great,
4: great people. I think, Naomi? Rich, I really liked the, that you brought up Wondery, because I think it shows, it, It like, reminds me a lot of Spotify to turn in that pipeline as well, where it's um, stitching together, like, all these kind of separate business lines, it feels like, like Amazon Music and Audible and Amazon Studios, um and really showing that, like, making that pipeline clear. And I think that this is, like, their first step in pulling together some of these different verticals in in their business internally. Um, and, like, if you just look at, like, Netflix is definitely giving up mind share and attention to the audio market right now. And I think everyone here is working on things that are pulling people away from, screens into audio and away from like Netflix into into Spotify. And and it's a really, really fun transition to be a part of. Um, And then I think that that people are going to want to see products that take that audio back into like other platforms that they're that they know and love be it Netflix, Snapchat, you know, whatever, whatever other video platforms there are. So I, I think that attention is just getting even more split but i think that we're going to see with the with the amazon wondery acquisition we're going to just see a stronger pipeline from audio back into video tv and film
8: i I also think that i mean hopefully there's also going to be more of a push just with i mean you know what, what amazon is really good at and if they can market the hell out of something so i think that investment from them i think they're an increase in awareness I mean you know, there's another plan in the space, but I, I would still say that overall it's it's not necessarily a factor of competition yet, uh, amongst each other, so much as it is, you know, figuring out how to kinda of grow that pie in awareness and, and Amazon putting its weight behind it is probably gonna be ultimately a good thing.
4: Totally.
10: I, I think it, I would say what everybody's saying really quickly on the Amazon acquisition of Wondery. I think one thing that it highlights for me though is a rising um you know, the rising quantity of owned content by the major platforms, which, you know, those of us here on stage, I, I I would sort of observe none of our content was featured in the Spotify event today. And so, you know, a lot of what Spotify highlighted was their owned uh owned content. I imagine Amazon will increasingly do the same thing with Wondery content, which which is completely understandable and legitimate. But I think, you know, as the industry continues to move forward, the question rises in my mind a little bit more around you know, us as independent publishers, the degree to which, you know, we'll take priority versus, you know, these platforms own content as that continues to increase. Well, and, and the partnership model evolving to become
1: wider, and, right? Like I, I hope you all work with Spotify in, in, in some regard, you know, even if it's, uh, distribution and promotion, right? And, and like feature placement and, and today's, um, uh, presentation was ninety five percent music,
10: I would say, and five percent podcasts, and and that, you know, that that's our core business. So anyway, no, no doubt, Joel, and and just to be clear, like I, one of the most exciting things for me on a personal level is going from the platform side to now a publisher where I get to work with your colleagues that are lower down in this thread, and I'm I'm super excited to do so in a much broader way. But nonetheless, I, I think. You know, this is always a question in terms of, you know, when platforms get into the content business, how much is that going to be the priority for them versus other people's content? And we, we represent that here on stage. So I think it's just a dynamic to think about in a new way. And certainly, you know, for the industry broadly, and then, you know, just candidly me personally, as I, I've been on that platform side for my whole career and now I'm on the publisher side. So, um, it's all good and it's, it's exciting, but I just think it's an, it's an increasing dynamic, especially as, Amazon is entering with, with a large, large publisher like Wondery. And I think Hernan was in here a little bit earlier. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it's a, just a really exciting change, but, but definitely a new one for the podcast business. 100%. I totally
1: validate all those dynamics are, are correct. Also good to hear your voice, Steve.
9: So doing- since,
1: since we're on Clubhouse, anyone have any thoughts about Clubhouse and as podcasters how you think you may be able to use clubhouse in a complimentary manner or not at all. If anyone has any thoughts, guess not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hit the leave quietly button.
7: (laughs) Brandon, I'll just, I'll just say on that. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, certainly as a tool for marketing and, um, you know, awareness. We talked a little bit about that earlier. I think, I think this is building Clubhouse a great, um, you know, community, right? And so it's something we've discussed. It's obviously brand new and very early, but, um, I'm sure there's more to do there. But, uh, yeah, on, honest answer, we're, we're still kind of spitballing a lot of ideas. I think where it is, I mean,
8: as evidenced by this, right? It, it's, it's pretty good for fast hot takes. In a way that, that that podcasting probably can't get to quite as quickly, uh, but it'll be interesting to kind of see where where it evolves. But but it certainly has caught kind of that fire, and I, I think this
6: this is why. I wonder if it could be useful for content testing. I don't I don't know if people have done that already, but I've thought about that and wonder if if the platform would work for that or not. I'm not sure, but I I would like to try it out. I mean I'm I'm
8: stealing somebody's idea that I read in a newsletter they got possibly someone on this panel or in this room but someone had noted for uh, like recap shows for con- the content side but like doing after shows is a really kind of interesting idea um, so that may be on the content side something that we would
0: look at. It reminds me of like what was it the top, the walking, what was the thing after the walking dead? Talking, Talking Dead, oh, yeah. Dead. Talking Dead. Yeah. 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 In, the,
10: in the short run uh, seasonal show area there's I think a lot of room to do uh, events in celebration of a season. When I was at Apple, we did a event for, uh, Malcolm Gladwell at the Apple store in Soho just before the final episode of revisionist history. And I think it was an amazing celebratory moment when listeners of that show, uh, were able to come out and ask all their, all their questions from the whole season and get ready for that finale. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we're thinking about with Q code shows.
2: All right. How about we wrap this up with a little rapid fire favorite podcast. It's when you you talked about the Talking Dead, my favorite podcast is actually a guy's. Uh, what what are they called? A bald Move. They they review. They talk about. They did a great job with Game of Thrones, but they just find television shows and they talk about them for an hour. But why don't we go around the around the horn and and, and everyone can give their favorite podcast right now? Rich, why don't we stop and start with you? Your upper right or upper left? Um my favorite
0: podcast right now? Um god there's like so many podcasts I keep listening to. Oh come on. Um, just, just give one. Um you know, look I really like listening to if I'm being honest, I've actually started listening, you know, actually the one I'm listening to is The Dropout. I finally got around to The Dropout.
1: Brian, what do you got? Well, when the Sixers are winning,
2: it's just listening to the Sixers beat. <laughs> that's that's when i go that's when i go on intercoms and and listen to Angela cataldi all
7: right rob what do you have uh you know i'm i'm a little behind on this but um i'm catching up on your hustle at the moment which i i just absolutely Mm -hmm. love by
0: the way rob i just started friday night lights and got hazed on twitter for 24 hours so so you can't be later than me
7: yeah
5: jd you got one for us yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a big Love It or Leave It fan. We love the guys at Crooked Media. They do great work, and uh and John Lovett's super talented. So that that's my weekly must listen. And then and then I I have to plug one of our new shows, which we're actually doing with Joel's team. Uh, Welcome to Your Fantasy, which I think is going to be the hit podcast of this year. Uh, check that one out. We'll Steve, Steve, you
8: got (laughs) it. That was pretty good. I I just want the sound effects again. Um, I'll go with the one I've I've said before, but um, "Appearances" by Mermaid Palace, which is uh, this really kind of great scripted uh, fiction, non-fiction, uh, almost a little meta, uh, but I think it's unlike anything I've ever heard before, uh, and then just really uh, kind of transportive and beautiful.
2: We're sending we're sending this list out to our subscribers. Naomi, what do you have?
4: Um, our entire team is, they're just big TV film geeks, and so we yeah. talk about the rewatchables a lot, and um, they have a bunch of good episodes, but um, my colleague Webb sends me a lot of them to listen to, and I love them.
6: RJ? Um, besides the dozens of amazing Osiris podcasts I work on every day, um, I, I, the podcast I listen to every week is the first podcast I ever listened to, which is the Slate Political Gap Fest. I think it's the best political podcast out there. And How I Built This is the other one that I listen to every week. Those are two go-tos that are, have been around, but they, they just deliver every time.
1: Joel, do you have to say, uh, uh, Rogan? Hello. Um I've actually never listened to, to Jerry. So um wanna double tap a couple of things. Uh political Gap Fest, first podcast I ever got into uh over a decade ago. Amazing. Same same set of hosts for now like fifteen years ago. Fun fact, Megaphone, Born Out of Slate podcasts, uh creators of um the political gap fest and the culture gap fest. Also Love Ear Hustle, uh Love It or Leave It. By far the best crooked media podcast. Um, Pod America is like the unedited tapes that then, uh, crooked media turned into a bunch of great shows. Um, my favorite show, I would, I would say is, uh, Love and Radio, which is actually a luminary podcast, uh, by Nick Vanderkolk. Um, great, great, interesting, always provocative, thought provoking. But Political Gap Fest
10: for a long time has been my favorite show. So, Steve? I'm going to go with All Fantasy Everything, which is a head gum show. Uh, you know, some of the greatest uh, writers in comedy right now in Carmel and others drafting their favorite topics uh, that are somewhat funny and meaningless. It's a great show.
2: I can't believe none of you said the Lightshed TMT Weekly Podcast, which is right now the hottest <laughs> podcast for TMT <laughs> investors across the globe. Close I, was hurt. I mean Close I was sec. hurt.
1: I was hurt by that. You guys gotta put that out wide. That's your problem. <laughs> okay. we, blow my we, intro. Need, we need Spotify to get that subscription
2: thing going. Let's go, Joel.
0: Uh thank you all for joining. This is the first kind of one we've done live here, live on here, and I appreciate everyone joining and talk to everyone soon. And go thanks, listen to Trent. a podcast. Yep, yeah,
8: thanks everybody.
0: Yeah, Bye thank everybody. you.
9: Good night.
8: <laughs>